Today on Merchants of Change, we are joined by Dwight Henderson, former Dickinson College long pole, a former teammate of mine at Turbonomic, and the current commercial sales manager at Workado. Excited to hear from Dwight today. I'm J.R. Butler, co-founder of The Shift Group, and you're listening to Merchants of Change. This is a podcast about transferring the skills and behaviors we acquire as athletes into being a professional technology salesperson. Each week, we'll introduce you to a top performer who will help us understand how they became professional merchants of change. What's up, kid? How we doing? Yeah. What's happening? Good, good. How are you? Ready good, to rock? good. Excited to uh, excited to talk, catch up. Actually, catch up with an old friend and colleague, Dwight yeah. Henderson. Dwight, thanks for joining us today, my man. Yeah, what's going on, guys? Good to see you again, Jr. It's good to see you. It's good to see you, John. As I mentioned, me and Dwight had the pleasure of working together at a at a rocket ship out of Boston, <laughs> Turbonomic, and he's been he's been on his own personal rocket sit rocket ship ever since. So. Um, pumped to hear about and, and I've never really talked to him about you know coming from athletics to into tech sales so I'm excited to, to have that conversation so um, I, I guess Dwight usually what we do is we kind of start on the athletic side um, you know I've I've both John and I have been fortunate enough to hang out with a lot of laxers um, so <laughs> for better or worse <laughs> <laughs> uh, good in, man. <laughs> I'd love to hear like some some of the fondest memories you have of uh, of playing lacrosse. Yeah, so I mean, thanks again for having me on. Excited to to chat today. Um, I think for me, you know, I was a late starter in lacrosse. You know, I grew up in the Northeast where kids are handed a stick. You know, when they're five, six years old. I'm sure we all know those guys, but I was a baseball kid. You know, my dad played baseball. He wanted me to try it out, but I just could not stand it. All I did was get hit by pitches. So I switched over to lacrosse in seventh grade. And, you know, they told me you can have a you know, six foot metal stick and you can get physical and play there. And uh, I just had a blast doing it. And so, you know, I was a late bloomer, but ended up, you know, you know finding it and, and doing well playing and, and was able to play in college. And I think my fondest memories sit, you know, I think of it in two phases, like pre-college and then during and, and the pre-college in high school when you know, my school was, we were a okay lacrosse school, but we were nothing special. So it allowed me to kind of just run around with three of my buddies. We all three played long pole, you know, just kind of causing chaos and going up and down the field. And I just have a lot of fond memories of that. Just, just really, like I said, causing chaos on the field. And then, you know, you flip to college when it's all serious, right? You have a lot of fun, but it's, it's, you know, it's part of your, the reason why you're there. Um, and I had an amazing coach and mentor during my time there. And so I, I think, you know, my fondest memories there, I think one when, you know, you first get your college experience, which for me was, I think maybe the fourth or the fifth game of my freshman year, he called me into his office Friday before the Saturday game and said, hey, uh, you're going to play tomorrow, but you're changing positions. So go get a short stick strung up uh, because we're going to put you at D midi on, on Saturday. So it was it was one of those things where, you know, it's it's almost in a movie, right, where you don't expect it to come to you. But um, you know, just, just things like that and, and small little memories, you know, we had a lot of success as a team as well early on there. So winning some, some conference titles, going undefeated, uh, for, for two years was, was fun. Um, so it, it was overall just a, an awesome experience for me. 
Did you go undefeated at Dickinson or in high school? At Dickinson, we went, well, I should say not undefeated. We went 18 and 1. Uh, we lost in the conference semifinal, or in the, I guess, D3 semifinals. Um, it was always Salisbury. They were the ones who always had our number. I mean, they're an unbelievable across school, but we just couldn't get over the hump there. But uh, yeah, just being able to be a part of a team that, uh, is is so successful and kind of has everything all that momentum going for them was was really fun that's good you mentioned the teammates uh you know jr and i played sports growing up as well and um i always my fondest memories are hanging out with my buddies you know playing oh, playing yeah. baseball and yeah. football and basketball in high school and you know kind of going from town to town so question we kind of ask a lot of our guests but how would your teammates describe you how would your dickinson <laughs> teammates describe you <laughs> yeah i mean I, I i can i can tell from my girlfriend's perspective in that she's like how do you have so many friends right she played on a volleyball team which is it was 15 girls or 13 girls and she's like how how are we going to so many weddings you know so it, it's been amazing to keep <laughs> those relationships with my lacrosse buddies throughout these years you know um but i think well, I would hope if they were asked seriously to describe me, right, that they, they would describe me as someone who is, you know, super driven, kind of tried to keep the ship straight as much as possible, you know, um, and, and an overall hard worker on the on the field. You know, I wasn't the the showiest player. I was kind of the dirt dog who just, you know, rolled my sleeves up and got after it. So I'd, I'd hope that they would <laughs> describe me as something like that. Dude, as a as a couple things as a former patriot fan the record of 18 and 1 gives me like <laughs> i didn't want to yeah, mention that yeah <laughs> it's tough um also we, we me me and john have a really uh a, a, a personal friend uh papanano who played at uh salisbury they were a wagon so wagon. that's a tough one to run into without a doubt oh yeah without it's, a doubt. it's brutal every time shout out patty bow <laughs> so, so he actually called me last night. Um, so, so Dwight, did the did that work ethic and that like grit? Did it did it translate into the classroom? What kind of student were you? You know, I wish I could say it translated directly to the classroom. And and I don't want to you know paint the picture of I was a struggling horrible student. I was someone who got by on B effort. And be average, you know, and and uh, shout out to my mother. God bless her. Uh, she would always say, you know, look what you can do when you put some effort in here. Look at what you can do when you really, you know, put your mind to things. You got yourself, you know, into lacrosse in college. You were able to do this like you could do it in your or your academics as well. And I, I think it's one thing that I constantly look back on. And again, I'm very fortunate to to have the the career that i've had thus far and i'm happy where i ended up but it's always one thing i wish i i might have done or spent a little more time focusing on and prioritizing because i've seen you know how important it is looking back it's a lot it's a lot easier to see how important that time was i i think dwight you can you can rest assured that anybody that's listening to this that went to college with john and i would not be describing <laughs> us as as uh, academic stalwarts, John. Is that fair? I would, I would kill for a B at Holy Cross. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, what do you think, Dwight? You know, I and, and it's so funny because, like, we talked to a lot of people who like the student stuff didn't come as natural. Like, it wasn't as exciting as 
you know, the, the sports, but yeah. when you look at someone's athletic career, what they accomplish, they have all these like unbelievable habits, lessons, behaviors. What do you think were like the, the top ones that were ingrained in you from playing sports specifically? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I think for me, and I mentioned my college coach before, Dave Webster, who awesome guy, you know, just I've learned so many different things from him. But I think one thing that always sticks with me is is starting what you finish, right? Really, if you're going to do something, put that effort in and, and put your name on it, right? And and he would equate that to, you know, the larger goals of, hey, the season, a game, etc. But even, hey, we have our running test. You didn't touch the line here. Like, we're doing it again. You know, we, if we're going to start, you're going to finish it. So like, that's one for me that has just stuck with me. Like, if you're going to do something, make sure you're doing it to your best ability there. Yeah, like that. It's like discipline and, and doing your best. I mean, it sounds kind of exactly. cheesy when you say it out loud, but you're right. Yeah. Like if you're going to be out there, you might as well reach down and touch the line. So yeah, exactly. Transition yeah. question. Transition question for you, Dwight. So you're you're out there with the long stick, the short stick. Sorry, I don't know all the lacrosse terms. I'm, <laughs> no a, I'm a football guy. You're you're out there playing down in Pennsylvania, running around, just dreaming of the day you step into a sales role right like <laughs> so can you talk a little bit about when you made that decision and how you kind of started to think about sales yeah so like i said you know academics weren't always my first priority um and i think that translated to getting a job not that it wasn't a priority for me but i wasn't a guy who came in freshman year and said i want to be a doctor, I want to do what my father does or whatever that might be, right? I was kind of an open book just trying to get through it. And so for me, you know, I had a lot of brainstorming sessions about, you know, where could I use some of these skills and some of the things I guess I, I liked that could translate in, in the workplace. And so I think the things that were important to me were, you know, somewhere where I could work with, you know, closely with people right? Somewhere where I could work as part of a team and not, you know, hopefully sit in a cubicle and just push pencil all day. Um, and so that that can kind of limit some things down for me. So as I started looking, I actually had um, a conversation with someone. It was a, a father of uh, a kid in my grade in, in high school. And he is he was a VP of sales. Um, and he gave me an opportunity to do an internship in his company sales department. So I was more or less a their first BDR uh, for a summer going into senior year. And again, I had no idea what to do. I They were like, hey, you're going to go on LinkedIn, go find 150 names of lawyers, put them into this spreadsheet. And then when you're done with that, call all of them. And so I was like, okay. And again, not the most glorious job or process there, but you know, you start to understand, hey, I can see why this is exciting. I can see that if this was developed or if I was taught a little bit more, you know, I could be good at at this because there, you'll never forget the feeling of, you know, scheduling your first meeting, right? And how big of a deal that is as a BDR, in my case, as an intern there. So that's kind of where it started. And then transition there from, you know, really just using my school network, my, my personal network and reaching out and, um, you know, finding a, a BDR job uh, at the best company possible. Yeah. What do, what do you think was the toughest part of that transition period from going from student athlete to working as a, a BDR at Turbonomics? 
Yeah, I mean, I think the first part is that transition into real life, you know, is is awakening, I suppose you can call it. You know, you're used to, as I mentioned, the, the, the school wasn't always top priority. You're, you're playing sports, you're living with a bunch of your buddies. It's It's kind of what I look back now and call fake life, right? To some extent in that it's, you wish you can do that sometimes, but then you're tossed in, you know, getting up, dressing business casual, getting on the tee every morning, commuting in and, and doing your work. So I think for me, the biggest transition initially was just the uh, upping of responsibility and kind of the realness of the experience in that, you know, you had these past four years to really figure out what you wanted to do. And now it's time to do it. So it was kind of just getting my mindset in that or getting myself in that new mindset to say like, okay, this is really where you have to kind of you know use these skills and use all this talk that you have and, and continue to drive forward. So that was definitely a big one. And then I think just, you know, again, I was used to high expectations um, being an athlete throughout school from my parents, et cetera. But, you know, when you finally kind of learn the high expectations of your first boss or your first mentor or whoever it may be, you know, it, it puts that realness back in it that it's not just a, hey, if you mess up, get them next time, champ. It's a, you know, I'm depending on you. Your other leaders are depending on you. The company is. There's a lot, a lot bigger than, than what you were used to there. So those two things were definitely uh, difficult transitions for me or, or harsh realities, I suppose. So Dwight, I got two two questions a two for one here so you talked about brainstorming when you're playing sports you know you're kind of brainstorming what you're going to do next and then you talked about you know kind of up in the responsibility can you talk a little bit about that brainstorming session you had and then provide some guidance to some of our listeners because a lot of our listeners are in the same boat you're in right yeah. they're they're finishing up their final year in college they may not be you know valedictorian or something like that and they're trying to think okay what do i do next how do i how do i figure out my life you know jr and i were in that position a lot of our listeners are so talk a little bit about the brainstorming how you came up with the idea to brainstorm and then just offer some general guidance to some of these listeners yeah so i will again give a shout out to my, my college coach dave webster um one of his pillars of when he pitches prospective students and parents is you know, yes, your son is going to be a lacrosse player, but I want him to be a good and successful person. So that transition from college to the professional world is something that he really focused on. So a lot of those concepts were introduced to us, you know, through he would have speakers come in and seminars and kind of this idea of career progression and how you think about it. So those ideas really came from him and were sparked through that program. Um, and then I guess the concept of it and the advice I can give around it is start early, but keep your options very broad, right? Use what you could really use what you see as your self strengths or you've self identified as your strengths. Use those things as the top layer, right? Hey, what do you think I could be good at? And then from there, find professions that can kind of fit into that. Um, and I think, again, it's important to start early in it and start broadly because that gives you the opportunity to you know, use, if you do have a network, use that to, to maybe have some informational conversations with people, you know, use your teammates, parents, if any of them are in those situations. So just ask a few questions, right? Nothing has to be formal, but um, I guess the second piece of advice there is do as much research as possible. Because I, I think when I really learned 
not that I wanted to do things necessarily, but I didn't want to do things was having those quick conversations as far as like, what are some of the, you know, responsibility of an entry level position in this field and things like that. So that really helped weed it out. Um, and I think third, don't close something off until you give it an opportunity to talk through it. And, and if you don't have that opportunity, it's tough to, to say that. But, you know, for me, I almost initially wanted to rule technology sales out because I was like, that does not sound great. You know, I don't know anything about technology. Um, so don't rule it out until you at least have an initial conversation and a, a larger understanding of it. That's great. That's great advice, Dwight. Now, I think you two can probably talk about an entire podcast on this, but curious how you ended up at Turbo. Can you guys talk about that? Did JR give you a call or something? Yeah, no, I was, I was, I was personally recruited by JR. No, I'm just kidding. I, uh, I, uh, <laughs> no, I, so yeah, as JR said, it was, uh, summer of 2015. I, I started at Turbo as a, as a BDR. Um, and I was, as I mentioned, I kind of cast a net wide, you know, I was interviewing with maybe at one point, you know, six or seven technology companies in the Boston area that I'm sure people are quite familiar with, you know, all the ways from your EMCs and your Oracles, your large companies, all the way down to, you know, more companies like Turbo that were growing fast and seemingly doing well. And, uh, I think for me, I wish I could tell you, I had this amazing vision and this light bulb moment that was like, wow, this company is going to be quite successful. And I'm going to learn a lot. But really what it was, it was interviewing through with, you know, my hiring manager and the other managers there and kind of just how they spoke about the company, how they spoke about what they were doing in this job and what their goals are. It was something that was, it aligned with me quite well. Um, and so that's how I initially ended up there um, yeah, in 2015. 2015 was an exciting year there. What, who was the BDR manager then? Was it Wardo or, or who was it? No, it was Mike Shore, who has done a lot of great things. He's actually in enablement Shore. now. Unreal. Yeah, he, he's an enablement guy. But I mean, Mike Shore, I think your first boss can, yeah. I don't want to say make or break. I think that's dramatic, but they can pretty, they can influence, you know, your career if you stay in that, um, that segment of that vertical. And Mike did an amazing job of really just breaking down why things were important, which I think is really key early on in your career. Hey, you know, you have to make X amount of emails and calls and set this many meetings. Here's why we're asking that for you. And here's how we're going to help you get there. It wasn't just do, do, do. Um, so I, I'll, I always will remember that and, and appreciate that from him. That is so good. And actually, funny enough, Mike has actually helped us build out a lot, a, a lot of large chunk of our training, Dwight, believe it or not. So I still keep in close touch with really? that um, amazing leader and, and, and obviously found a passion with helping young sellers kind of find their way. Um, it's actually, it's, it's a really cool story that you talk about how you had all these different companies going. Um, we, we get that a lot. Like we, we, you know, we get, we get the whites of May, 2015, you know, really good candidates clearly have the characteristics that are gonna, that are going to be successful. So when we get them in front of like our hiring partners, um, you know, we we're there's a lot of them that are measuring competing offers, right? They're looking at things like, like base salary, on track earnings, the benefits. Um, a big one right now is: Do I want to go into an office or do I want to work remote? Um, 
what do you think is and, and I think you already kind of said it in terms of the leader that you're going to work for but what else do you think is missing from this list and like how would you advise these 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 young athletes that are coming into the workforce with multiple offers what other things should they be evaluating their potential employers against yeah no it's it's a great question um and honestly i think my answer has has drastically changed as i've learned you know good bad great throughout my my career thus far but uh i again i mentioned the leaders i think there's nothing more important right someone who you are directly reporting to who yes you are you are responsible for your own success but who is also you know, responsible for your success is going to be your coach and teacher throughout. So that's something I always tell people, like, could you see yourself sitting in a room with this person for, you know, 10 hours straight just working? Because to some extent, that's what you're doing and you want them to have their best interest. So that's definitely a big thing for me. The second piece I like to look at um, is the product, right? When you're coming in fresh out of college into the, the real world, you know, I'd say unless you are you know, doing something different than I was, you're not necessarily super familiar with a lot of these specific products. And that could be, you know, because they're very technical, because they just don't fall into the idea of like, you know, heavily traded stocks that you see kind of on the, the ticker, or whatever it may be, but look at the product, understand why customers and why consumers are purchasing this and put yourself in their shoes to say like, can I understand this? And then therefore, could I then sell it? That was something for me when I moved away from Turbo, I was able to do and and, and um, it really helped in my decision making and narrowed it down. Um, and then the third piece of it, I think is, and this is the really, really hard one, because again, you're going to college into your first job, you don't necessarily have to know where you want to go. But if you can think about trajectory, and hey, how is this company team opportunity going to help me get to what my next goal might be if you can line that up and, and start to understand it you're going to be set up for for a lot of success so like the product thing is interesting because we haven't had that answer too often on the show um but that's it is it is true can you sell it you know i i like to think i can sell anything but you're right like you got to be in this, this spot where the product kind of speaks for itself in some cases can you talk a little bit about trajectory a lot of these um former athletes are coming into sales as a bdr and they want to get promoted quickly how do you approach the bdr role with the career path and the progression towards an ae role and how would you advise somebody to do that so i'm going to give advice that if someone gave to me when i was a bdr i would tell them please shut up like this is bad advice but i think it's really good now is take your time like take your time and learn what it takes because you know i at turbo i was at bdr i think for about 10 months and i hopped into the aec my first closing role and for the first quarter i didn't know which way i was up because i thought i knew everything but i really didn't and i think you know this can differ from company to company and what exposure you're getting and what you're really doing in that bdr role but i'd say for the majority of them you're not going through full cycle. You're not, you know, closing C-suite executives. You know, you're not presenting ROI decks, right? Things like that. And so take your time, understand what are the gaps there and get as much exposure as you can before you're 
asked to do that as you know your full-time job um so that would be my best advice there but but i also would say use that time as your sdr not to learn the things you don't know but to continue to be the best in the things that you do know prospecting discovery um just overall pipeline generation whatever it may be so when you do transition hey maybe i might not be the best in closing deals yet or speaking to executives but I'm going to have the most pipeline on the team. I'm going to make an impact directly. So if you can do those things and really work on that, I think that transition is going to be a lot more smooth. But but again, take your time on it and do it when you feel ready as well. That's a that's unbelievable advice, Dwight. I, I, I'm I'm like so excited for our our athletes to listen to that because I th- I think you're you hit the nail on the head, right? Um, you know, one one of those things when you're you're a BDR is you're really partnering with an account executive, right? Um, or multiple account executives in some some cases. In your career, um, how do you think the best BDRs work with the AEs they support? And how and and now that you're you know in leadership, which we'll get into, how can AEs be most helpful to their BDRs? Well, let's talk from a BDR to AE support perspective first, right? I think the biggest thing you can do, again, is see yourself as a partner, right? Like, you know, the hierarchy within any company, right, is a thing. You know, the BDRs are the entry level, the first kind of the the first line of defense column. But as much as you can see yourself as a partner, that AE is going to value you that much more, right? So you're asking questions that they care about and, and therefore the ae will care back about you know your outcomes right so like hey what kind of people do you really like talking to hey these are your top 10 accounts we're working on how can i assist in there right putting the value to the the key drivers that the aes look for it is a massive thing that you can do to differentiate and separate yourself as a bdr and then if you kind of flip that from the ae side is First and foremost, remember when you were a BDR and how much it sucked at times, how hard it was, you know, how, how many times you get kicked around per day. Remember, it's a hard job. So, so have some, some sympathy and some empathy for those, those people. But second is I, I flip it over and say, hey, what are you getting gold on? What are your goals? So one, work on them, work on the soft skills that we talked about uh, previously, right? The things like uh, speaking to higher level people or whatever it may be, the things that they don't have exposure to, take the time to work with them and then ask them, what are their goals? How are they getting you know, measured as an SDR, BDR? Because what I've always found is, and again, it might be a bit selfish, but the more you can put into your SDR, BDR, the more willing they are going to be to you know, go out and prospect and find those meetings for you. So really do the best job possible to see it as a mutual two-way relationship on an even playing field. And I think that's going to increase, you know, productivity and output from both sides. It's funny, Dwight, because this is, it, it correlates so well to sports, right? Like you're saying, be a good partner. You could change that to be a good teammate, right? We talked about teammates earlier. And then you're talking about investing in kind of the youth and the, the people under you when you're an AE, like your coach, uh, Dave Webster, I think it was his name, you know, investing in the youth, right? Like, so it is. It is uh, very strongly correlated to athletics. So, you know, a lot of the athletes that listen to this show are kind of looking for their first sales job and they're thinking, okay, how do I, how do I gain an edge? You know, how do I take my college career and transition that or shift that into a sales role? So if you're, 
you know, talking to the listeners out there and somebody's playing college soccer and they want to know how can they have that edge going into their BDR interview? You know, what, what guidance would you give them? Whether it's like yeah. a podcast, a book, or what, what could they be doing while they're playing? Yeah, good question. I think it's, so the, the obvious thing that everyone thinks about, right, when you think of an athlete transitioning into sales is the competitive nature. They've worked in a team, right? Those are, I'd say those are fairly obvious and that pops to the top of my mind, but really think about what are the other intangibles, right? The questions you guys asked me about what would my teammates say about me, uh, you know, as an athlete, right? Look back at what are your other intangibles and then translate that to, hey, how am I going to show that in an interview? And whether that's, you know, a quick story or whether that's, you know, a little, uh, I don't know, a proof point of like, hey, here's an example, like come prepared with those things because, you know, not that non-athletes don't have those stories, but you as an athlete have so much more exposure to different situations, whether it's practice, locker room, a bus, a game, whatever, where you can use and find these examples that if you come with that, you have a real ability to differentiate yourself and, and put yourself above some other candidates. This this is like, John, this is another episode that's going to be required listening for our candidates. I, I, yeah. <laughs> this is Unreal. great advice. Yeah, we, we have a whole... We have a whole course in our in our training called like why you and we talk about this idea of like it's one thing to say you're resilient it's a whole different ball game when you start giving examples right and then it's a whole nother ball game when you can apply that to the job you're going for right you just hit the nail on the head um i love hearing about coach webster it's it's so awesome to hear how there's guys like that out there for young athletes like like we all were um but I also, you know, one of the things I love about sales is you don't lose that mentorship relationship, right? Like you, you, you find people in your career that become valuable mentors to you in this, in this new world. Um, any, any colleagues or peers or leaders that have been valuable mentors to you? And, and like, what do you think the most important lesson was that you learned from them? Yeah, I think for me, you know, I think the, the concept of a mentor professionally has always been intimidating to me. And I think it's something that at one point in my career, I was like, oh, I need to go find this person. I need to find them. But if you take a step back and realize a real mentor, you don't go out and find it naturally occurs. And you just you look back, and you're like, oh, wow, I've been relying on this person's counsel for a while now. Um, but I honestly think for me, the person who is you know most closely aligned with a mentor was my first boss at Datadog, so my company after Turbo, um, Jake Parsons. So he was a uh, commercial sales manager, then moved up to uh, director, and now he's a, a senior director there, um, helping run the West Coast commercial team. And you know, for me and him, you know, we are extremely close friends. We've developed a, you know a friendship. We go golfing. We go out to dinner with our significant others, things like that. But it's always comforting to just have no fear in asking like, hey, man, here's the situation I'm in. I don't know what to do. And having someone who's gone through a lot of the same experiences just say, well, here are the four things I thought of. Have you thought of those? And so I don't know if it's necessarily a single piece of advice that he's given me, but it's just kind of the concept of coming to that person for you with open ended questions and having them just say, well, here's what I might think of. Have you thought of those? Um, I think that's something that's just been so helpful and eye-opening for me. Because, yeah, maybe I've thought of three, but the fourth is the one that's going to be the right one to think of, you know? So um, I I'd say that's probably the, the best types of conversations that, that we have there. So 
doesn't have to be a official. Hey, dear Joe, would you like to be my mentor? <laughs> yeah, it just kind of happens. It just kind of happens the same way. When I was young, <laughs> it just kind of happens. Uh, you t- you talked right a little bit about the uh, progression of your career, the yeah. leadership position that you're in. Can you talk a little bit about how your approach to work has changed from BDR to AE to your sales management position now? Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'll contradict myself a tad here before in talking about the partnership and team aspect of an AE and a BDR. But, you know, at the end of the day, as an AE and a BDR, you are, it's an individual contributor role, right? You are responsible for your own outputs, your own effort, your own outcome. There is a team aspect to it, but at the end of the day, if you're hitting 100%, like you're getting a pat on the back and, and saying keep going, right? So it's it's nice to be able to show up, know what you have to get done, and be able to hold yourself accountable to execute to that. As you transition into a leadership role, it really it, it changes your whole perspective because the way I think about it is, yeah, I'm managing you know 10 salespeople but I'm really just managing 10 individuals who have families, lives, things going on, good, bad, ugly, that I can't control, they can't control. So you have to really take a completely different mindset as to, I'm not just responsible for me and what I do, but I'm responsible for these 10 other people and, and how they're act or how they are, I guess, how they are just living their lives, right? And the different things that impact that. So it's a really different mindset as far as, how you kind of have to approach each day and really each day is so different than the next just based off of all of that so it, it keeps you on your toes a lot more unreal i dwight first off I, I have i have two final questions um but i just want to say dude i am like i'm like feeling like this sense of pride because i haven't seen you since the turbo days man it's just so cool to see like how you how you've evolved and and the type of person and leader you are so so thank you, man. Like it, it's just really exciting to see. It's it's one of the reasons I started this company is is because I know that people like you, how you were in college, will be phenomenal, phenomenal salespeople and sales leaders. So, um, dude, awesome, uh, John. I have two more questions, but anything final that you want to ask uh, Dwight before I get into him? No, go go for it. All right. So first one, Dwight, and I'm excited to hear your answer on on both of these. Um, we always ask our guests on the show to highlight one skill that you've developed that makes you elite. What's what's your skill? What's your elite sales skill? So when I first spoke with Tom, who I don't know if the folks know Tom, uh, for if he's in the background, uh, but when I first spoke with Tom, he asked producer, me this question. Producer. Yeah, producer Tom. Uh, he asked me this question, and I think I gave him one of the worst answers I could have thought of. It was like eating away <laughs> at me at night. And so I, I've been thinking about this, uh, I, I, Tom, yeah, I, I've been thinking about this for a little bit now as far as like what I've become really good at. And, and I think it goes back to our last question there. Something that I think one of my best strengths is being able to relate to people at a personal level. And, you know, uh, I think this skill is really important in management. But I think you can take it again from a BDR to an AE to a leader, VP, whatever it is. If you can develop the skill of relating to people, you can make that personal connection, which can then you can learn from them for teammates and leaders. With customers, you can build trust, build champions, 
you know, build connections that you might not otherwise have. So I think for me, the thing that I would like to say I am best at and I have really, really honed in on is, is that exactly is building relationships, building partnerships um, and using those in, in different ways. That's great. And it's so important because it is a it's a relationship business at the end of the day. People buy from people. People work for people. Well said, dude. Yep. Um, so last piece, this kind of comes my I, I think, you know, this my, my father was a, a high school hockey coach for many, many decades. And, you know, me and my brothers all played, you know, hockey and other sports growing up. But my dad used to tell us when we were little, JR, there's a lot of there's a lot of people out there that play hockey, but there's not a lot of hockey players. So we were kind of like, you know, embedded with this idea of like being a pro and being professional. And we think, you know, when I talk about great salespeople like you, like some of the folks we worked with at Turbo, I, you know, I would describe them like that, you know, that guy, that girl, she, you know, they're a pro. What do you, what is being a pro in this industry? What does that mean to you? Yeah, that's an awesome question. And it's funny you think of sales pro because I think the first sales pro that I actually interacted with, I think of Jimmy Mack, like that. <laughs> he's like the first sales pro I think of, but, but really to me, a sales pro is someone who has process and meaning behind all of their actions, customer facing or internal. And what I mean by that is they don't need to explain why they're doing something or how they thought of it. It is natural to them at that point that they know what is going to take to execute. And I think it's something that, you know, you have to have inherently as, as far as that just that drive and that ability to get there, but it's a learned skill set that you get from just picking up little pieces from each person that you interact with, right? So it's just to me that ability to execute in different situations at different times, but constantly execute at a high level. So so when I think sales pro, that's those are the, the couple things that, that pop up to me. I love that. I love that. You because because a, a true sales pro does they pick up little things from everybody, but they also recognize bad habits in people and recognize that that's not something right. they want to develop, right? Like, dude, that yep. is a great answer. Dwight, th it's this combo was awesome. Like I said, this is now officially required required listening for all ship group <laughs> candidates. So, so thank Love you. It. Thank you. It's great to catch up with you. Great to see you. Thank you for giving us some time, buddy. This wraps up this episode of Merchants of Change. If you enjoyed this episode, the most meaningful way to say thanks is to submit a review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're interested in working with us, please come find us at www.shiftgroup.io.